trying to get back to the basics of great products. Power comes from sharing information. I try to convince people to slow down. Free. Yeah. Open. This is the Soak Dice Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Soaked by Slush podcast. My name is William von der Palen and with me, you guessed it, in Copenhagen is Isak Rautio. Hi Isak. You guessed it. I hope they did. I hope they know me already. Like this, yeah. we, we're recording this, uh, <laughs> these in bulk. So so I, I guess, I'm guessing the listeners at this point will have been very much acquainted with us. Yeah. Nice to see you William again through Zoom. It's very nice to see you. Very nice to to be doing this, this more and more. And um Yeah, it's always enjoyable with with new discussions and new guests and new also new new uh, new kind of angles that we haven't uh, discussed before. So really looking forward to this once again. Absolutely. In this episode of the Soak by Sloss podcast, our guest is Haley Sudbury from uh, from uh, I don't know what that is, but a place in Toronto apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my in-laws' farmhouse in uh, just oh, yeah, outside right. of Toronto. Yes. <laughs> Nice to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Lovely to meet you both. How has um, how has uh, life been in these tumultuous times with uh, Corona and stuff? Well, I mean, I've got to say it's been fairly unexpected. I uh, officially moved to New York last summer, and so I've always loved New York and always spent a lot of time there. But uh, made the decision to to make the move and expand working into uh, North America from a, a headquarters in New York. And so, uh, you know, it was obviously quite an experience going through being in the epicenter there uh, at the beginning of uh, COVID hitting. But I mean, look, the reality is now I feel like most people have been going through similar things, you know, irrelevant mm. of, of kind of where they're, where they're based. So um, yeah, it's been an epic year. It's nice to pop up and be at my, uh, my family's farm uh, for, for a short time, sort of visiting family and, and have a break from the city. I sort of running through the back streets of Chelsea with an N95 mask, you know, <laughs> yeah. ra- racing Tesla's uh, sort of started to become my, uh, my entertainment. So definitely good to get out into nature and, uh, you know, reconnect uh, with kind of just, just fresh air and trees and something completely different. Yeah, that kind of seems like That's a positive right. side effect from from all this, like both connecting with nature and connecting with family. Uh, is is something that I've heard many people say. Even though, of course, we or I personally wish that that would happen also without a global pandemic. <laughs> But you know, uh, if you want to see the silver lining, then that's probably one one of those. Oh yeah, I think we're good at filling our lives with things and distractions and the energy of the city. Um, you know, are these sometimes beautiful, you know, rat wheels we created for ourselves. Mm. And, um, you know, I think obviously that is a good thing. The pandemic has forced us to stop and think what's important, you know, and nature is important and we don't have it. It's, um, you know, we feel it. And I think, I think a lot of people go on that journey to, to reconnect and, and, you know, recharge um, because at the end of the day, you know, we're energy, you know, we're also, you know, We're humans. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not made from cement and steel. We need to kind of get back into nature and, and you know, be fueled by the things that uh, actually do make us feel great. Yeah. Yes, that's well put. Do you, Haley, do you want to give us a short introduction of yourself so I don't botch it? <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, well, uh, Haley Sudbury, I am the founder of Workin, and essentially we are the digital standard for inclusion and belonging. A lot of our programs um, really help companies manage, measure and scale both their their mentoring and their career development programs as like a starting point to get them towards that 
inclusion and belonging. And I guess one of the other things we do is we really are focused on helping companies create new data points when it comes to inclusion and belonging. So being able to authentically tell a new story about what they're doing to support their people, um, both internally, but also then share that message with their customers as well. Now you have a have an interesting story. You uh, before you started your entrepreneurial career, uh, it happened a bit later. Uh, you didn't start where you were super young. That wasn't like a thing you had in your head when you were a little kid that I'm going to do this. You sold, sold lemonade on the streets, or how do you? How would you put it? <laughs> well, look, I actually. Um I did grow up in business, in, in family business as well. So okay. the idea of running a business certainly wasn't a remote one to me. Um, it just happened. And I also started a small venture just as I was finishing university, mainly to fund my international travels and the lifestyle that I actually wanted to have. But I did go into the corporate world and, um, you know, look to develop kind of a number of skills. I had a background in product development, so I worked in the energy sector um, and then moved into the financial services, both in product development and then to, into more sort of general management roles. Um, but essentially, you know, entrepreneurship sort of, I guess, more formally and, and sort of making that choice and taking that leap did come at a, essentially a later stage um, as I was, you know, sitting in my uh, my corporate gig in a, a very senior role within um, within financial services and I was looking around and thinking about really kind of the next step in, in my career, you know, what was it? And I think, you know, when you're going through that process, you're, you're naturally looking for those kind of those success stories, those role models, you know, who is it that I can relate to that is going to show me my, show me the way, you know, who is my Yoda out there? And, mm. um, and more importantly, who's the Yoda that maybe looks and feels a bit like me and, and someone I can relate to. And so as I was thinking about that, that next step, I mean, I was also going through a bit of a kind of crazy kind of personal journey too, where I was, beginning to accept that, oh my God, I actually was gay. And that if, if, uh, you know, I was going to live my kind of happy and full life, there was probably something in me needing to accept that and thinking about how I felt good in that and comfortable in that. And how did that, how did that look and feel in kind of, you know, my, my work life. And so as I looked around the organization I was at and, you know, it was, it was wonderful and I did great things in my own career journey. I couldn't see that version of myself. You know, firstly, there was no women above me. And then secondly, there were certainly no gay women. And I was like, oh, geez, this is not a very mm. kind of inspiring, you know, place to find myself. And I guess, you know, really before being at that kind of crossroads myself, it's not something I'd thought a lot about. You know, I was on a fast track or, you know, a fast track rat wheel, if I was referring to before. I was working hard and being promoted and, you know, moving around the world and, and great things were happening. And I was enjoying that trajectory and enjoying the challenge, enjoying growing and learning and working with great people. And it was really kind of when I hit that point, I thought, wow, I can't see myself. And, and, you know, when you can't sort of see yourself, even like the most secure and confident people that you sort of start to question, wow, is this, is this kind of where I want to be? Am I kind of like living my truth here? Like what's the next part of the journey and how am I going to navigate this? You know, what is, uh, what does gay Haley look like? in <laughs> Kind of this, this realm, but it's kind of straight Haley. <laughs> who seems to be working uh, and, and why is that even important? I think, you know, you have to kind of go on that personal journey, you know, so for me, I guess, you know, coming out and being my true self and, you know, building a technology company and really becoming an entrepreneur, it, they're kind of all interwoven, right? It was all part yeah. of my, my personal journey. And I thought, wow, okay, 
I think um, I need to leave this organisation. I need to do something different with my life and I need to surround myself with different people to be challenged and look at, you know, what, what is next and really kind of going through that journey. I guess I did almost a 180 back and, and started to look from the outside in at these organisations and thinking about my own experience and just really seeing the need to change what someone's journey was inside an organisation, really whoever they were, and, and seeing that actually there were some real gaps in how we did that. Because if I, who you know, had had a pretty, pretty great run really, couldn't see the version of myself or be inspired to stay and have that role model, then you know, we probably weren't really kind of living in a completely equal and fair world essentially. And so that, that, that journey and then, you know, I think what was happening with technology at the time really kind of made way for this idea of, look, I think we can help organisations be a better version of themselves. I think we can help individuals be a better version of, them, of themselves by thinking about how we use technology to change someone's experience. You know, how do we help a senior leader or manager see someone different who doesn't look or feel like them so that not only they see them, they actually support them and then in turn, what we're seeing happen is people's kind of roles and their progression starts to accelerate because they're having a different experience. You know, we're not relying on all of those wonderful, comfortable spaces we fall in where we, we see that, you know, that version of ourselves, maybe who we want to support. We're actually changing it. We're mixing it up. We're making it dynamic. You know, we are making it essentially more diverse and inclusive. And really, that's how I got to, you know, where I am today and like, building work and, and the journey we've been on, you know, started with a very simple idea around actually we think we can do something around mentoring because people get what that is. And so let's start there around native apps and look at, you know, the experience. And then we've moved that into more of a, you know, a, a cross-platform product where it is really about having a number of interventions sit on that platform. One of them is still mentoring. However, that platform now is the place where you can get the data to start to tell the world who you are as a company and what you are doing to support equality and change. And I think we're at just this sort of very interesting point in time where I always believed this was important, but now there's a lot of other people and a lot of other customers who are now saying to companies, hey, this is important, show us your data. So it's not just, uh, you know, uh, a, a good to have now, it's kind of a bit more of a business imperative. So you know, it's been an interesting journey, but it was definitely fueled by a personal one. And now it's fueled even more by kind of change and the change that we're seeing in the world. And, you know, how can I help companies? How can we as a company help companies? But more importantly, how do we help you have the best experience in an organization that helps you get to the best place that you want to get to, to be the best leader, the manager, the best employee, but also just be happy and, and mm. enjoy the ride because you feel really great when you, you know, used to walk into the workplace, now we kind of dial in via Zoom, but you feel that sense of connectivity because you know who you are and you know that you're growing and you know that you're supported. They're all the things, you know, we want to help um, change. Yeah, it's definitely like your work. How, if you imagine how much time you spend at your work and how much mental energy you put into it and how much of your identity is inter intervoked interwoven with with whatever you're doing for your vocation or job and it's yeah it's it's it makes a lot of sense to put it that way and it's an interesting perspective actually the 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 lack of having some sort of role model because as you said we're humans those abstract things of personal growth and those are obviously important sort of motivational factors but then we can't help i suppose to not notice the lack of role models if there is one um yeah. and um 
and and it might be easy like i guess for me it's 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 not as sort of difficult so it's probably hard to sort of imagine that situation uh, that you're in uh, or that you were in back then can you sort of expand a bit more on it like how how does the the sort of uh, how does that experience feel of not having does it does it feel like a kind of a kind of a dead end for you personally well i guess i think yeah we all feel like options are open to us when we can see someone like us mm. in the role or, you know, the place in life that we want to be. And, yeah. uh, you know, you could sort of, there's probably an argument to say that's why like Instagram influencers of all types yeah. are so wildly successful because people who look and feel like those individuals, whoever they are, whatever that lived experience, whatever that story feel connected, they want to follow and they want to buy into that success because, you know, they're drawn to that because they can see that that person is like me. And so I think, you know, we've obviously seen that kind of explode in, in social media. Obviously that's been a bit slower in the corporate world because of time, history, the way decisions have been made, the, the, the lack of a real pressing need for change. Um, I mean, obviously countries like, you know, uh, you know, Finland uh, are very kind of progressive in, in this area, but it's not like, you know, uh, every, every country has been on kind of the same liberal progressive journey. And um, I think when you're a person in an organisation and you've had, you know, some, some sort of moderate or relative success and then all of a sudden you hit a point where it's like, wow, where do I go next? And you can't point to it. It's just, it's a bit of a reality of, okay, this isn't quite as balanced as I thought it was. I wasn't kind of really noticing because I was caught in the momentum. And I think, you know, we talked about COVID earlier. We've all stopped and we've we've broken the momentum. And when you're in the momentum of life, sometimes it's easy to ignore some of the bigger things. And we're coming back to what's important. You know, we're coming back to our humanity. And I think, you know, that's really happening in the business world right now too where we're coming back to this sense of who we really are. We've been very good in the corporate world, particularly of creating languages and structures and frameworks and our own headwinds and tailwinds to create an ecosystem of meaning. And I think really through a lot of this, you know, the reality is it's meaning we've created. This isn't like nature. This isn't something that is just going to continue to evolve. This has come about because of the choices we've made as humanity and now we're making different choices to go well maybe we we weren't sort of as sort of signed up to something that was equal and fair for everybody and so i think you know just coming back to my personal experience it's just more that very clear point in time where i was able to say wow is there really a space for me is there really a seat at the table for me for this next step because it looks like all the from different individuals that certainly don't look and feel like who I am right now and also who I'm planning to be when I come out. (laughs) So, you know, it was like a very real, uh, you know, a very real revelation, not just for, you know, the organisation I was at, but also as I looked at the industry, you know, I was like, wow. And, you know, the reality is we're talking over 10 years now and, um, you know, so much has changed and it's, it's hugely positive. You know, we've moved into kind of these positive role model this where you know really in every industry you could probably find someone that you can relate to um, you know you've got chairman ceos and leaders coming out talking about their 
you know, personal responses to Black Lives Matter and what they're doing as an organisation. And I think the good ones too are also acknowledging that actually, you know, not enough has been done and it's okay. Like, so no one has the right answers here. All we know is kind of current state of play is not good mm. enough and not mm. good enough for us to move forward as humanity. And we've got that kind of, you know, we talk about the great realisations used in a lot of kind of language right now. People are having that and they've recognised that to stay in business even, you have to come back to those truths. You have to own it. We have to own kind of the gaps that we've had, the fact that we haven't had all the answers and maybe, you know, we haven't done the right things. But, but you know, it's now this intention to move forward with a very clear kind of plan for change and yeah. what that means. So, you know, the reality is um, I, I know that there's still people having these sorts of experiences, but where we are right now is breaking it down. I'll give you one quick example. About 18 Please. months ago, I got some feedback from um, people in the financial services sector where, and this is all anecdotal, but it was sort of coming from friends of friends and um, where young fathers were still feeling like, and we just passed at this point, it was, this is a UK based feedback, um, passed legislation around, you know, paternity leave. And, you know, we were getting feedback to say that these young new fathers were still feeling like they couldn't take the paternity leave uh, because of what their peers and what their, their managers might, may think of them. And, I mean, look, I think that's ridiculous because I think, mm. you know, equality is good for everybody. And the reason you progress this forward is so that whatever life you're living, you can make the best choice that's great for you, the relationship you're in, the family you want to build. But, you know, there was still, you know... At, at the heart of it, this underlying issue of presenteeism and that actually showing up in the office is what matters and staying for a number of hours is, is what matters. And I think what we've got now is this is breaking down. I mean, I was on a round table with about 15 US and UK CEOs about three weeks ago and, you know, one of them was really leading with the idea of like presenteeism has now been broken. And, you know, they're having very real conversations about this, which I think is just amazing because all of a sudden, you know, we're at this point where everyone feels like they can be showing up to their job, you know, making the decisions they want to make. I mean, there's still kind of, we know that there's in different sorts of imbalances that are happening in this setup too. But I think, you know, the progressive um, step is people are starting to define what really is the best for them in this new, you know, remote world. But, you know, as of 18 months ago, which is, you know, isn't a long time ago, that was still very strong feedback that was coming through, you know, for us. And the reality is we've still got a long way to go. And um, this is about everyone feeling like they are equal, essentially, and everyone feeling like they can take, you know, what's available for them to make their lives, you know, the best it could be. Yeah. I think this is a super, super interesting, uh, you know, discussion and also like, yeah, a super interesting angle also because oftentimes when when we discuss companies and and success stories, it it seems to me at least it boils down to talking about business models and you know funding models and you know luck uh, luck versus hard work and all this, but. What's often omitted is like also the the people behind you and people behind and then the founders of the company on a more like really on a on a substantial level, not like not like they they worked hard or they did this or they went to Stanford, but really looking at the qualities of successful founders and entrepreneurs and and also you know talking about their identities 
uh, as you mentioned, you were in in a bit of a blur, and then <laughs> then like everything intertwined, and and at some point you found once you figured out more of who you are, you then also figure out the, the way forward. And it seems to me, at least, that most of the successful entrepreneurs are are people who who have a pretty strong identity, um, and it seems pretty logical to me, at least, because that's that's the only way you can believe also in in what you're creating. And and many of the founders also come from some form of bigger or smaller adversity and they maybe failed a few times along the way or whatever and they built built up grit but it i think it would be super interesting to take the discussion into into this direction and talk about you know for especially for young founders and entrepreneurs on on you know uh, talk about how they can find their identity and, and what kind of work you can do around that because i think before you you're able to find find your qualities and your true self you won't be able to to succeed uh, in whatever you try to do. Yeah, uh, look, I think, um, God, I always think there's so much work maybe I should have done on myself before I started this particular journey. Maybe it would have made me a better entrepreneur because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, you know, I think... It's not too late yet. It's not, Well, look, I'm constantly, uh, you know, I'm evolving. Yeah. What could I say? Um, look, I, firstly, you know, I think, you know, some early, early advice, you know, I got is you know, really this idea of you have to own your own kind of personal development journey, firstly. So I think, you know, the starting point is always that intention to really take time to reflect on yourself and and think about how you want to grow. And um, ultimately, that's something you need to, I think, answer for yourself at least once before you kind of step out and start this journey as well, because it's, you know, it's pretty intensive, um, you know, choosing the life, building a company, it's very different to, you know, essentially working as sometimes an entrepreneur inside an organisation or taking more of a, um, a structured role, if you like. And, you know, entrepreneurship is, it, it's it's not for everyone either. And I think that's okay as well. You know, entrepreneurship has become very sexy in, in recent years and everyone has a side hustle, which, you know, sometimes can take away from the day job too, which maybe it's about kind of making it a, a choice to spend time on that and really get some credibility first so you can actually step out and have some authority and do something in a space where, you you know, you want that credibility. But essentially it's about always taking the time. And I think, you know, it's really only been in the last um, year where I've made more time to really, you know, make sure I'm doing things like meditating and, and stopping and, and, and thinking to create the space I need to really, I guess, restore who I am daily and then be clear-headed about the decisions I need to make. But when it comes to like doing the inner work, which I think, you know, obviously you're never too young to, to start at. If we don't stop and think about what's important to us, it's, you know, it's, I think it's harder to be, to be happy in life. And even for me personally, I did a bit of a reset recently just around coming back to, you know, what are my values? You know, I've been so busy leading, you know, a mission led company and, you know, I'm so focused on the mission and so passionate about that. But even for me as an individual, it's important to come back and revisit, you know, those values 10 years ago, you know, have changed slightly to what's important right now. So, you know, that taking the time to think about, you know, what are they? And for me, I went through a bit of a process and really came back to, you know, it's about, you know, growth, joy and love. And when I have, you know, those three things at the heart of what I do and the values, you know, that are driving me, I feel happy. You know, when, I'm, when I feel like I'm growing, 
it doesn't matter how hard it gets or, you know, how crazy it is. I feel really good in that, you know, when I'm finding joy in the creativity I love about entrepreneurship, again, you know, I feel really happy when I have a sense of what I'm doing, you know, is me showing, um, you know, love to people from all different shared experiences or being able to build a business so I can look after my family, you know, that feels good. So, you know, essentially I think it's important to come back to these core things of who you are. It's, it's not enough to go, I've got the mission, I've got the company we're driving forward because at the end of the day, coming back to this idea, we are all human, but we are individuals. And to be part of, you know, a greater collective good, we need to make sure we're kind of stepping into that with hopefully our best self in kind of, you know, the best shape it can be. So, you know, it's not just about, you know, doing the runs and the physical activities. It's about spending the time and, you know, looking inward and being really clear about, what those things are that are important to you. And I think it's whatever works for you as well. But the, the, biggest, the biggest thing is just about making the time and, and coming back to those core values and being clear. And Because if you've got that right, you're going to be pretty happy along the journey, even when the unexpected and expected curveballs come at you. Yeah, I think it's yeah. something that should be. Yeah, sorry, Isaac, but I think no, it's something ahead, that should ahead, be should be emphasized more, uh, not only to to founders, but of course, especially founders too. And it's maybe something that we've started discussing now more mental health and identity and all, and all this. But it seems very early, early on yet. Uh, but also from an investor point of view, when we are now talking about you know doing different forms of due diligence, uh, it used to be only financial and maybe looking, having a coffee with the team and then, okay, yeah, you seem like ni- nice guys. But it seems like it would be a pretty good idea also to do a proper due diligence on, on you know, the personalities of, of the founding team. Uh, it would be great if you could stress test <laughs> the resilience beforehand, you know, because most most entrepreneurs will run into a quadrillion problems along the way, and and many people are not equipped, uh, especially younger people. But it's not necessarily an age factor. I think it's it boils down to to learning to yeah to find your identity and and to to learn to to handle your values and or, or handle yourself and also have your your set of values and and of course usually if you're very young it's you don't have it's it's a factor of time you don't you, you haven't had had that much time uh, to establish those yet but it seems like that would be a pretty good idea also from the investor perspective to to understand this uh, um, these mechanisms and it seems like it's something that's that's happening but but hopefully we'll move away from from only validating business models and uh, you know scalability and bankability and and of course everything that that's very important but it still boils down to the people as investors say we invest in people but then people you still invest in like a very niche type or maybe in an idea of a of a person not in the not in like deep knowledge of the person it's it, like or the team itself somehow it seems it seems like it's quite shallow the process uh, in in that department still somehow yeah look totally i mean i think um we definitely have a long way to go i think there's you know obviously investors are people too so there's such huge variety depending on you know where they are at on their personal journey and who they are and what they've signed up to and whether it's something more than kind of cost of acquisition you know churn and kind of a repeatable sales process that they're looking for So, you know, I think, um, you know, I think there's a balance to be found. And as entrepreneurs, we still need to be able to talk to 
the business model and the business model needs to make sense because you need to kind of look at a way to get a hopefully a scalable you know return on on what you're creating but yeah, um, you can't just invest in resilient and nice nice people uh, without no, a business plan no. that's probably not a good idea either yeah no but i think it's obviously important i mean the entre- entrepreneurs who are have have better you know mental health or have invested in themselves are going to be able to weather the storm and not just kind of enjoy the ride but i think see a return i mean i've always believed you know with passion success will follow because it takes you know so much to to move a company forward and um i was listening to something recently and actually it was tony robbins that said you know businesses don't fail because of a lack of resources they actually fail because of a lack of resourcefulness and i think you know when your mental health is is good and you're investing in that and you can think clearly and you are you know aligning what you do daily to your values you can be more resourceful and actually that's 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 kind of the key right in in building in and building anything whether you've got a small team or a large team when you stop being resourceful you stop really moving forward yeah i'm really enjoying this conversation about identity and like how how because it is the place and the space where your decisions and your choices and your day-to-day habits come from. And as you said, it's sometimes good after a long period of doing. It's good to sort of uh, take time and, and take a few steps back and breathe and see what's happened. Because it's the old cliche, every day kind of seems, seems the same, but then when you look back, everything's different across those days, kind of. And then you sort of uh, you look back and you realize, okay, maybe I was doing things. And I remember, I want to bring up another point. When you were younger, you were uh, planning on becoming a jazz musician, isn't that right? Yes, yes, I oh, was. Yes. So, so, uh, and and I'm guessing, I'm assuming you two, William and, and Haley, you you're both uh, active entrepreneurs, so you probably know this better. But I'm I'm guessing that entrepreneurship, in some sense, is more uh, Duke Ellington than a well rehearsed <laughs> Chopin. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. more improvisation. And, it is. And to sort it of, is. To be to be sort of more to be sort of stable in that identity to know that okay the day to day processes that I have I might not be able to see the big picture during these individual days but to have that trust in yourself and to not have that second guessing all the time that am I, is this the right thing I'm doing it doesn't really matter if you fail sometimes it's okay like it's all coming from the same place. It is. It is, and um, I mean yes. I, I think music still has a special place in my heart and, uh, you know, maybe the next venture is kind of going back in and maybe William and I can kind of collaborate on, a, on an album. That's where this Looking may go. Looking forward to it, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's definitely, I, I think having the mindset and feeling comfortable, I think getting on a stage, um, being able to interpret and, and, and really uh, improvise, which is obviously at the heart of um, jazz, um, particularly, I mean, I played alto sax and, you know, that's, nice. that's what you do. You know, you, you learn the standards, um, and then you have a framework for improvising. And actually it's interesting as I think about this, because, you know, what we've been doing at work and it's about building, you know, the standard for, you know, inclusion and belonging. And now it's then giving people the ability to improvise within that, uh, within that platform to then have, you know, the piece of music or the data to, you know, be able to share with the world. And so I think um, that has probably framed me uh, and the way I, I look at things because it's kind of this mix of structure and freeform. And, you know, when we can get that right, we we kind of we, we create beautiful music that 
makes us feel good. It it sounds good. We're 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 part of something. And even with the dissonance and the things that aren't in complete harmony, that's also, you know, the beautiful, rich, you know, diverse fabric of of jazz that I also think is, you know, part of, you know, the business world as well. But in all of this, I think the power is still kind of in that, you know, we talked about identity as well, coming back to who you are. Like I am this musician and I have an instrument and I am empowered to, you know, create something with it. And I'm going to step out and do that. And, and ultimately, I think that's that's how we want people to feel, um, you know, within the workplace, within their life and, and you know, give them some sort of feedback mechanism around that, around know that they're doing well too, because as humans, we need that feedback loop to, to know that, well, firstly, it gives us a sense of achievement and it's really important, uh, I think, for progress and essentially that sense of being part of something. So it's never just about the the solo musician it's always about everything else that's coming in to, to make the music and um, yeah I think you know I hadn't really thought about it too much I just really loved jazz and it kind of it paid for my university lifestyle and uh, <laughs> um, you know I met lots of wonderful interesting people and I felt really good you know when I was jamming with the band and just creating something that feeling is kind of um, you know it's it has a sense of ecstasy about it in a very natural way. And um, it's, you know, it's really, for me, very special. And I guess I'm, I'm probably always looking for that feeling and that heightened sense, how do I tap into it in whatever I'm working on and uh, whatever I'm creating and whatever I'm building. And, you know, that's a big part of, of uh, who I am. And I think um, having that creativity when it comes to business is you know, I, I think it, you know, adds value. I also think you need a huge range of different skills working with you, but I know it makes me really happy and I, you know, I really love it. That's awesome. Yeah, Did people ask you to pull out the alt sax at parties? Sorry? Did people uh, tell you to pull out that alt sax at parties to jam? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, after a few <laughs> drinks, I definitely am uh, very open to getting it out too. So, you know, there, there was a lot of, uh, and there has been a lot of that over over the years. That's awesome. Yeah, but I think that's a good ano- analogy as well because um, yeah, business is mainly problem solving. At least in the early stages, it's about going from you know failure to failure, but still somehow, somehow uh, keeping your head uh, above ground and or above water, and and then you know looking back after a year and realizing that you've actually achieved something. Hopefully, um, one thing that's often debated is always uh, is is the fact that should you. Yeah, should you basically uh, work for someone, work in a company uh, before going into entrepreneurship uh, to learn the ins and outs of corporate life and building structures and and uh, also, you know, working for managers to learn the good stuff and the bad stuff of, of managing or if you should just, you know, start as young as possible, maybe as 14, 15 or whatever, selling lemonade and, and learning it the hard way, uh, taking some hits along the way, but but uh, figuring out as you go do you have uh, you've obviously come from the corporate side and uh, i personally haven't uh, worked for anyone in my life which is sounds bad uh, but i've done my own thing since i was quite young uh, so there's and there's like good examples of both uh, but what do you think what, what what have been the benefits for you coming uh, coming into entrepreneurship from the corporate life um look i think I think everyone's journey is kind of sort of unique to them. For me, I thought it was, you know, firstly really fantastic to work in 
different organisations to understand the culture and the business challenges that um, each organisation or industry have. So if you were, you know, and, and, you know, working, we are a B2B company as well. And so I think, you know, it's specifically in building B2B companies. I don't think that's necessarily something that's just done off the bat, you know, fresh out of university, out of high school with this amazing idea that's going to transform the way we work without having some understanding of kind of what the current state of play is. I mean, there could be someone extraordinary out there that just really wants to do that, but it's probably the intention to create that change wouldn't necessarily be driven from someone at that earlier stage of life. So I think within definitely within kind of the B2B space, having having the experience of your customer and being in these workplaces and experiencing the pain points or and then being able to see what an opportunity for a new solution is, I think uh, it, it definitely gives you, you know, a competitive edge and I think it makes whatever you're doing relevant and also being able to position it and sell it and have, you know, some credibility. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, you can always hire people if you're successful, but the reality is every uh, every starting point for any organisation starts with founder sales. So whoever you are, you know, when you're stepping into that room, um, irrelevant of age, you know, there has to be some way that you're building rapport and, you know, and, and relevance. So it could be new, it could be innovation, it could be really exciting because you understand a particular, you know, customer segment who that might be an age group you're part of. However, if you're wanting to transform the way they do business and you've just finished your undergraduate degree, it's going to be a little bit hard to be taken seriously um, as that founder. And it's just purely because everything starts with the founders first. And so if B2B is your focus, um, I think you definitely have to take the time to learn and learn from people who've been there and done it, but also just have some experience that's contextually relevant. And so for me personally, um, I thought that was, you know, hugely important. Um, in saying that, you know, I sort of mentioned earlier, you know, I grew up in business. I grew up, you know, serving customers from like, you know, the age of like 12 and 13 and um, my family run businesses together. And so we'd sit around the, the dining room table and discuss business and it was part of you know, a, a family dialogue around the customer and the businesses and, you know, the various things that were happening. And so that was always kind of part of who I was, as well as kind of a, a super early venture as I was leaving university just to, to fund my lifestyle, um, you know, outside of just, you know, playing, playing in gigs. So, you know, essentially I'd done a little bit of that, but it wasn't really till I felt like um, I'd worked in the business world a little bit more that I had kind of the relevance. I had, you know, a couple of the right logos on my resume. And, and also I think having, having a network is, you know, super important to helping you build something because as you're building it, you're wanting to test it with some, you know, some, some, some friendly, um, some friendly faces in terms of like, Hey, if I got this right, if I position what we have in this way, is that going to work for HR? Is that going to work for CFOs? You know, you need to be able to share and iterate, um, you know, with people as you, as you're building something, because you, you know, we all know you don't build it and they will come, you know, that, that just doesn't happen. And um, it, it may look like that. And that's where the media, I think, sometimes tell an interesting story and we all get excited about, oh my God, they're an overnight success. And, you know, you don't see the, I think it's on average, you know, nine years, you know, previously that that, that entrepreneur has been on, uh, you know, the hell, the heartbreak, and now they're the hero. So, um, you know, to be able to, I think, go on the journey. You need a network. And, and often the best way to get a network is because you've had, you've had the right work experience. And, but not only that, as you've left organizations, you've maintained and you've invested in that network and that community. And, 
um, you know, friends and professional friends so that there's there's something you can tap into. You know, there's some good karma in the bank of, you know, you're not just asking for stuff, but you've been able to add to that relationship over time. And I think just the maturity of like working for a few different companies, you know, gives you that um, ability to build those relationships, to, you know, add value to those relationships, to understand how you might be able to tap into their knowledge. So, you know, those things, those things come with experience. And I think um, if your passion, which it probably is not, if you're a super early entrepreneur (laughs) selling lemonade, you're probably not thinking about, oh my God, how do I transform the world of work and make it a fairer (laughs) and equal place? (laughs) You're probably just thinking about how do you be the next Mark Zuckerberg, right? Because it's, you know, the the B2C stuff is definitely the sexier and, um, you know, applies to us all. So mm. I think there's a real difference. And I, I certainly think, you know, the extraordinary can come out of nowhere on a, on a B2C offering, uh, on a great idea, on a, you know, a wildly talented engineer who maybe just does something right at the right point in time. I just think B2B, a little bit of maturity, you know, a network, some business experience that helps you understand the customer, the pain point and the solution is, you know, at a basic level, you need a few years of that to to help make it, you know, less painful, uh, essentially, uh, and to build something that is going to be a success. Now you have this experience, uh, and then you're nearing the day when you're going to decide to end this career and start to become an entrepreneur. What was that transition like for you? Did it kind of feel like jumping from an airplane and hoping the parachute's going to open, or was it more? You already talked about it in the beginning, and it was this bigger. Uh, it was a bigger question for you. But how was that sort of the professional move like? Well, look, it was actually quite easy because I was probably feeling like I was at extreme point in life. Firstly, but. I, the other thing I had been doing, and we sort of talked about, you know, side hustles briefly before, but I had been running a passion project with my still now co-founder where I think this was probably my desperate need for like just different sorts of human connection and growing and learning. It's very much part of who I am. So you can imagine how well all these Zoom calls are going for me right now. I haven't seen people since March. I'm just like, oh my God, new humans. Yes, yes, yes. This I'll meet the nice. boys from Soaked. Fabulous. <laughs> I'm just like, what? We can't do it in person? No. We can do this um, again tomorrow if you want. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. Let's do it daily. So, you know, I'd been working, um, you know, full time, but I'd started this passion project and, um, you know, except, you know, it was very social. It was about, you know, connecting thought leaders and disruptors and, um, you know, people who were leading in their industry around a social experience and, um, you know, bringing this community together. And, you know, I'd been running this and it just had been so fun. And um, because I wasn't sort of stepping into, you know, it wasn't about stepping straight from the corporate gig into something that was so new, I'd kind of started the journey of thinking about, you know, what does the future look like? What do we want to build? And I mean, you know, I was running a very like a multi-billion pound balance sheet in my role, but then I was like hustling for a case of vodka on the side for these events. <laughs> and so I think it gave me this context of like um, also being very realistic about when I did start something different, you know, you're not picking up the phone saying, hey, you know, it's Hayley here from Barclays Bank. Um, you're saying, hey, it's Hayley from this venture that you've never heard of. And it's really important that, you know, the network and the way that you're able to position the opportunity has a little bit of credibility and substance. Um, otherwise, it's hard to succeed. So I, because I'd kind of done this passion project and I'd been hustling for kind of cases of vodka or, you know, whatever it was to make these experiences great, um, and it 
it also was informing my sense of community and connectivity and um, and we were moving towards creating technology for it as well. My mind with my co-founder as well was going on the journey around how do we use technology to maximise human connections to get to a really great outcome. I mean, we were lucky because we were also using the offline experience to kind of bring that together. Um, but a lot of that informed kind of the early thinking for the product as well. But because I was doing that and it was super fun and super crazy and, you know, the do pack downs of these, you know, events, for example, like two and three in the morning and, and then I'd be at the gym for like seven, um, you know, probably like the reeking of like bourbon. But um, <laughs> obviously you're, when you're in your 20s, you're pretty immortal. You can do anything, right? You definitely do not need sleep. But there was not any huge leap I was already in that mindset of hey I'm doing this and and that passion project didn't start as this is going to be the big money making venture it was like hey we really want to get great people together because when great Mm. people come together great things happen and as a result of that and that that journey I started to do basically my idea for where we wanted to go started to change and shape over time as well and I that's what I always say to people too like it's it's I think it's really dangerous just to kind of go, right, stop everything and I'm starting this because actually what you end up doing tends to look quite different. What you need to do is create some momentum and a level of comfort for you to feel like you are moving in a new direction. And as you start that direction, it, it starts to take shape essentially. And because I was, you know, in quite a momentum there, it made it super easy. And I just, you know, I, I loved my co-founder dearly and we, we loved building things together and had the ability to do that. She's a, She's a really fabulous um, user experience architect. And, you know, between these kind of skills, we really, you know, she was like the hacker and I was the hustler. And that's still kind of the breakdown of our, our identities within the business. Um, even though we're very joined up on the strategic direction and um, I work on the product as well, it's, it's essentially the breakdown. And, and that early stage passion project really kind of formed that around how, you know, how the, the roles are split and who we are and it plays into our identities. And, you know, we're kind of like, you know, the very new evolved version of the tech bros. That's awesome. Uh, I, you said something, uh, oh, there's so much to unpack here, but you said one really interesting thing. I hope I'll remember it within two minutes. William, take it away <laughs> until, until I remember what it was. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but it's uh, maybe going into more uh, or taking it in a, in a bit of a different direction while Isaac is thinking about his next question. Um, <laughs> maybe we can talk a few minutes also about your company. I mean, this we just we started off on this track and, and now it has been, I think it's been extremely interesting. Yeah, the Bridges but, Podcast. Um, yeah, how's your company doing? Uh, what's happening with it? You're, you're now in, uh, in New York or you're now in, in, in Canada, but... Um, yeah, uh, I mean, what are you has doing? What are your visions? And, and uh, has it taken off? And, and what, what, yeah, <laughs> just what's happening? Yeah, so, I mean, it's certainly been an interesting year where uh, certainly in March we were a bit like, wow, okay, this is interesting. And, you know, we were, we were seeing, for example, a lot of diversity kind of um, roles within organisations being furloughed, made redundant. You know, and that sort of happened over March to, to May uh, because, you know, basically when companies are under pressure, they come back to the balance sheet and what did they cut out and what, what is nice to have. 
And, you know, a lot of what we do is also supporting, you know, remotely organisations, you know, with, with their culture as well. And so that, you know, we thought, well, actually, that's kind of really where we can support companies as well, because it was looking like diversity and inclusion or inclusion and belonging generally wasn't a priority. Now, um, you know, since the death of George Floyd, I mean, the world rose up. You know, I think we, we sort of saw this point in time where people were working from home. And so they started to think about things a little bit differently. And they started to realize that, you know, change was possible because the way I work is possible. And previously I might've just thought, well, actually some of these things are, they're too big to change. They're too hard. I know there's inequalities and I know that in kind of like my consciousness, but actually I'm not focused on that change. I'm not, you know, I'm not really stepping out and doing anything. I'm, I'm a great person. I have good values, but you know, it kind of is what it is. But then with this radical change in, in how we work, all of a sudden the idea that change was possible, I think became a very real thing to a lot of people. And, you know, we had, um, you know, the death of George Floyd and, you know, we saw people rise up and in New York where I've been through kind of, you know, I've only just popped up to, um, to Canada recently, but, you know, people were rising up and people were marching and it was, um, it was everyone. It was a cross section of society saying, this isn't fair, this isn't equal, um, you know, some of us are being left behind and, you know, we need to get this right. We need to have a, a you know, an, you know, enforcement, um, you know, law and order needs to, to, needs to treat everyone the same way, not just, you know, a certain part of society. And that, that's been radical because the pressure has then turned and been applied to companies and, you know, companies are now under pressure to demonstrate what they're doing to support equality and change. Um, you know, obviously race is at the heart of it, but it's, it's, it's broadly, you know, every, we're seeing that kind of affect everything as well. And, you know, there's, there's needing to be sort of strong statements around, Hey, we're doing this to create change. We we've, we've made donations to, you know, various charities to kind of get, you know, money into the hands of people who can create change. But, um, you know, we're also making commitment to what our hiring now looks like when it comes to, you know, black and ethnic minorities. And so that's kind of been the broader conversation as well in, in Europe. So because of that, you know, we as an organisation have always been focused on um, helping companies um, within the space. And for the last um, 18 months, we've been running programs focused on reverse mentoring for black and ethnic minority employees. And essentially what it does is it also builds um, understanding and empathy for senior leaders and managers, um, particularly those leaders and managers who are not black and, you know, not from ethnic minorities. And so it's about, you know, changing the experience that these leaders and managers have so they can really better support um, their people, but be informed. And, you know, it makes it very real. You know, this isn't about like a tick box exercise around understanding what, oh, I might have biases. This is about meeting someone, understanding what their lived experience is, hearing it, and then being able to support their journey inside an organisation. And so for us, um, you know, I have a fantastic, um, fantastic woman who leads that program and uh, her name's Alex Desar. And essentially, that program is now in, you know, quite a bit of demand because it's, it's proven and, you know, companies want to do something that's, that's real and shows that they're, you know, essentially providing a way in which we can help us, you know, get to a better place, but also support their employees who are feeling 
um, who are feeling a range of emotions right now. Um, they're feeling upset, you know, they're feeling disconnected, not supported. And I, you know, I, I can't understand, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I understand all of those feelings because um, I think this is about kind of making sure there's a platform for everyone to feel heard and supported. Um, so, you know, in that case, it's been something we've been running for a while. That is now something we're seeing um, that actually now there's a real appetite to, to try something different, to get, you know, different results. And I think that is also at the heart of it too, where, you know, previously where I might have spoken to CEOs about, um, say, in the UK, there was gender pay gap reporting and, you know, huge gaps. And, you know, we really didn't see radical shifts across the entire population year on year. We saw some companies stepping up to the plate, but it wasn't like there was this, oh, my God, the data's there and it's all transparent and now there's this radical change. Um, but, you know, a lot of companies were putting in things like mentoring and sponsorship to kind of close their gap. And, you know, I had a lot of conversations with CEOs about, well, look, if you need, if you want to do something differently here, you've got to, you know, these programs are great, but actually we need to look at running them in a different way to get different results. Because unless we do them differently, that the same programs you've been running for the last 10, 20 years, which, you know, actually get you the same results. And so right now though, we're seeing an openness by leaders to do something different, to get different results. So for us, from a business perspective, that's great. For me personally, I'm more excited that actually there is a true intention and an openness to go, actually, this needs to change. I need to do things differently, whether it's about race, whether it's about gender, whether it's about LGBT, or whether it's just about thinking about the employee experience in a new way because the way we work has changed and now what is being demanded from an equality standpoint has changed there needs to be something different. Now, I'm not saying we're the one solution to change everything because I think a lot of these things work together. We are simply part of the change and part of the new way to do things. And so if a company wants to see different results, that's that's what we're here for, to give them a new way to do it, to take old programs, to give them a new platform and, you know, give them the support and the guidance to take them to that, you know, that newer, better place and, and have something they can really shout about, you know, to their people and to their customers, because right now their customers are d demanding, you know, not only better representation within the companies, because that's how they're making the decisions that, you know, do they put their, their dollar towards that product that that company's, you know, actually producing, but they want to hear the good news stories around what are they doing to actively support everyone from different shared lived experiences internally. And, um, you know, that obviously plays into the employer brand. But at the end of the day, this is really coming down to the crunch of, customers are now making decisions about where they put their money and they're seriously voting with their dollars and where we saw a lot of that happening in the US which is also why you know we've been focused on growth there in North America you know there's there was definitely a strong connect between you know this conscious consumerism really and and capitalism you know very strongly linked and actually CEOs really had a sense that actually when they tried this stuff it made sense. It looked good and it was good for the company where Europe, it was a sort of slightly different cultural play. Now, you know, as of like summer, most companies are on a similar page where they're looking to do things differently to get those results. Um, you know, capitalism aside, it's just like, wow, okay, we have the sense of clarity now in business that actually our customers are not happy. So we need to look at ourselves and say, do our organizations really reflect society and also the customers we serve and if they don't we've probably got to make some changes internally 
I mean, the ridiculous thing about this too is when you get this stuff right and you have an organisation that better understands your customer, you're going to actually make more money as well. Like there is absolutely the, you know, and I'm not one to talk about business cases anymore because I don't think that's what we need because that's not what's being demanded. You know, people aren't in the streets demanding a business case. They're demanding change. And if they don't get change, they won't put their money there. And so that's, you know, that's, you know, from an economic standpoint, that's essentially what's happened. You know, the world has woken up and said, you know, there's some stuff that's going on around how our economic structures work and, you know, actually, you know what, I realise I have a, I have something to do with that because when I invest my money mm. in a company or a product, I'm actually empowering the system. Yeah. So actually I, I have a bit more power than what I thought about this change. It's not enough for me to look at this company and go, oh, it doesn't look and feel like me, but you know what, oh, God, I love this drink. It's great. I'm going to buy it anyway. Um, it's like, no, actually this company doesn't support people like me, so I'm not going to put my money there. And that's really kind of at the heart of this where the everyday consumer you know, the everyday ally, you know, to our black sisters and brothers right now is saying, I'm not going to support a company that doesn't treat everybody fairly. And that is at the heart of what we're seeing, you know, as a, as a company at work. And, you know, we want to help companies create, you know, a fair and equal workplace to change the employee experience. You know, right now, um, I think we're seeing that change between not just having to, you know, educate the market around why this is good they realize it's good and that's a you know that's a great place that feels like progress to me as well I feel like we're stepping forward as humanity and we're thinking about what's the inner work now we want to do as an organization I mean we talked about inner work earlier and how we own that personally but who do we need to become as the business world because in getting this right we'll create better businesses there's no doubt about that but actually there's some work we need to do and if we want different outcomes we've got to do things differently and even though I've talked about that a lot I feel like there's an openness to that now Mm. like never before and that's you know that's that's really exciting great I think we soon we have to wrap up this has been super lovely this has been absolutely lovely thanks for coming but I have one more question at least William you can feel free to step in also but uh like as an open, open, openly gay uh, entrepreneur and founder, and sort of outspoken, you probably got a lot of people uh, from—I mean, not just from the LGBT community, but just other sort of minorities who might not have the same role model uh, or might not perceive the same role model and role model in their surroundings as as you as you explained in the beginning. What are some of the most common concerns or worries uh, that are vo- being voiced to you, and what do you usually say? Um. Do you know, I think sometimes I feel like the, the concerns that I'm hearing are sometimes, you know, sometimes they're less about identity too because it's also about people working out how do they, um, you know, build a company essentially because they're, right. the, you know, yeah. the, at, at the beginning of their journey. I think there's obviously still the funding piece is huge. You know, I think really, uh, you know, William, you've obviously had experience here as well, but there's still you know, there's still progress to be made there, essentially. Um, you know, I think the sort of feedback I hear is, you know, people have read the business cases around and the examples of the Harvard studies around the biases that exist, for example, around, you know, even like male versus female founders and the biases people have. And so there's still a lot of dialogue around that and how to navigate that um, because, you know, really kind of 
I guess the toughest thing here, and this is you know, something we can see in the world right now, is really biases are kind of based in belief. So there's kind of these beliefs and there's data. But if you have, if you're dealing with individuals within kind of the funding context and they simply have a set of beliefs that aren't true, it's very difficult. And this is kind of like the journey we saw, you know, previously around why kind of diversity and various things is because, and all of this work was done around the business case. And I really thought innocently at the beginning of this journey for me, oh, well, if the business case is done and Mackenzie have said you'll make more money, then surely this is what you'd want to do because, you know, it's the right thing to do and you need to get a return to shareholders. But actually, if you're dealing with beliefs that um, are not in line with progress or beliefs that are centred in something else, they're pretty hard to break. You know, that's still kind of a bit of a challenge around changing someone's experience to what kind of a data set or, you know, an individual may look or feel like. So, you know, that is still kind of, you know, a conversation that has had and that, you know, that could be, um, you know, I've certainly still heard of founders who are openly gay in their life but actually have completely kept that off the table, obviously, when, when raising money as a way not to, like, you know, complicate it in any way and then you know at a at a very much later stage i.e money is in the bank have have shared that um that was actually a, a male example I'm, I'm giving there so i mean I, I don't think um i don't think we're kind of fully there yet on you know uh, where we need to be i mean my advice usually when it comes to all of this is i think we need to look at who we are more as superpowers rather than limitations because when we look at these things that make us unique make us great entrepreneurs the energy we bring to an experience whether it be raising money whether it be hiring someone whether it be winning a client turns the nature of that interaction because I think there's a really dangerous line and again this is something I talk about if we know all these limiting beliefs or biases or blind spots or whatever you call them exist and and we know they do because we've all read the research right We, we know the challenges but if we go in with that top of mind the danger is we take those and we make them ours as well. You know, we take that limiting belief and we transfer it onto ourselves as a way to hold us back. And so I think, you know, the the key thing is really about going, well, actually, no, what I have makes me unique because of who I am and because of the journey I went, you know, on from corporate, you know, being an entrepreneur makes me who I am. And kind of even a personal experience around, Jesus, how am I going to be like gay in this? You know, that, all of that makes it a unique experience to why I'm building this company. So rather than going, hey, I know these limiting beliefs exist in funding or this, this particular client, you know, I always encourage everyone to lean in to what they have as a superpower, as a thing that makes them extraordinary. Because you shouldn't, taking on someone else's limited belief just because we've read the reports, you know, is not going to actually push you forward in this situation because you're going to essentially going to hold yourself back. And I think, that's all we can do when we're still, you know, this is kind of the, the wonderfully diverse, you know, world that we live on live in, I should say. Um, and it's not, it's not at this really balanced and fair place yet. And there's, there's still work to be done, but we can own the journey that we want to have mm. and we can choose not to make these beliefs ours and we can step into our power because all of us have it and all of us have great experience and lived experience that makes you know, what you do, what I do, you know, hugely um, relevant and, and contextual to whatever it is we're trying to sell or get support for. And, 
I think you've got to flip it, got to flip it. And that's, that's kind of really key. Uh, here, brilliant. here, activate your so superpowers. Much. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but absolutely. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Um, it took a very, very nice. We, we got a very nice angle on it. I think. Uh, hopefully, the listeners enjoyed it too, um, and uh, you got something, some good new ideas out of it uh, as well. Yeah. Great. Well, really enjoyed speaking with you both, William and Isaac. It was really wonderful. For any future guests who might be listening, this is the reason we don't send question lists yeah. this conversation. This <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not leaving it too much. And thank you to everyone who listened and watched, uh, watched the video. Do, do let us know in the comments what you, what you thought about the episode. And um, do remember to subscribe to the show. Thanks. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed your visit to that conversation as much as we did. Now... If you want to stay updated and keep in touch with us, please subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and then Facebook. You guessed it, Soak by Slush. Thank you people for listening. Bye-bye.